Good evening. What a pleasure it is to be back at Ornava. And uh, the topic that they have chosen for this evening uh, may or may not be relevant to everybody. And uh, it's, it's interesting because I guess maybe I should give just a, a brief introduction. It was about close to 20 years ago that the Benos uh, Torah uh, Institute, better known as Sharfman's, asked me to come in and speak on the topic of platonic relationships, which I had never spoken on before and have almost never spoken on since. And I came up to the room and the Madricha who was introducing me, I said, do I have to behave myself? And she said, no, you can do whatever you want. That in general is never good advice for somebody like me. But, uh, you know, my wife once said, you know, you pause and you wonder whether or not you should say something because, you know, maybe it's not appropriate. And then you say it anyway. So I don't know why you even bother pausing, you know. There was one time that uh, my Shana Bet girls from Darachibina came over the house. And uh, my wife was there, you know. And I was, you know, talking like I always do. And every now and then my wife would say, Rabbi Olavsky, I don't think you should say that. Or, Rabbi Olavsky, I don't think you mean to say that. Or, Rabbi Olavsky, perhaps you should not say that. <laughs> and uh, the next day in class, I started to say something. And one of the girls said, you know, if your wife was here, she wouldn't let you say that. <laughs> I said, you're right, but she's not. So, uh, so anyway, I, I spoke extremely direct. Now, uh, the first community talk that I ever gave in Harnov, I started giving a shir in Masilzu Sharm in somebody's house. That was really how, how I started. Um, there was a woman who had just redone her house, and she wanted to have a shir. And they had like a prabha. You know, during Elul, they had different people come in and speak each week. And of the four people, they decided that they really wanted Mrs. Heller. And she wasn't available. And neither was the second or third choice, so I ended up with the shear. <laughs> and, uh, and I started giving a shear, Mr. Shisharim. Interestingly enough, um, Darchi Bina had started that year. And he advertised the fact that he had... Um, hired the best staff in Yerushalayim and he didn't hire me and uh, some of the girls were coming to my Mitzel Sharmship and very curly asked where are you going he says well Rilavsky's giving the share he says but we got the best people in the world giving share he goes yeah but he does something special he says well then I'm going to have to hire him here so I joined the second year in spite of Rabbi Curlin's better judgment but anyway um, but I was giving that share and from that came they wanted me to give a share for the community. One, one balabas. And I started Arab Rosh Hashanah and Arab Yom Kippur. That's when I started. And uh, the, later in the year, Yeshiva Bacha, who had been at my Yom Kippur share, said to me, um, I have to tell you, Rabbi Olavsky, I don't think your share was appropriate. I said, why? He says, because Lamaisa, Elo is Elo. And Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur. 
And uh, it's very serious. It's the time of year, and you shouldn't be telling jokes. And Shmuzin should be very stark. So I said, I guess when you were in yeshiva, you went to a lot of shiurim like that. He says, yeah. I said, then you went to mine. He says, yeah. He says, which one helped you better on Yom Kippur? Those shmuzin or mine? He says, for sure, yours. I said, then what's the point? Because Elo is Elo and Roshan is Roshan and Yom Kippur. Which means that it doesn't really make a difference whether or not something is more effective. We have a way of doing things. And one of the ways we deal with problems is one of two ways. Either we say there are no problems. That's the most effective way of dealing with the problem. Uh, a friend of mine is a shiva in a yeshiva for, you know, boys who would come to Eritrea to learn for a year or two. And uh, Rabbi Tversky spoke to him, Rabbi Dr. Avram Tversky, and he said there are two types of yeshiva in Eritrea. Those that have a drug problem and those that don't know they have a drug problem. <laughs> so this inspired this Rosh Yeshiva to make a meeting of all of the Rosh Yeshiva to discuss this problem. And when the meeting was convened, so he says, we're here this evening to discuss the problem of drugs in our yeshivas. And the first Rosh Yeshiva said, we don't have a problem. And the second Rosh Yeshiva said, neither do we. And everybody else said, us either. And that was the end of the meeting. So that's one way of dealing with the problem. It doesn't exist. The other way of dealing with the problem is to discuss things in such a euphemistic style that nobody really gets to understand what the issue is. I will cite a few examples on a subject that you girls probably never have anyone talk about, and that's sneers. I, I feel like every now and then someone should mention it, you know. So it almost never gets to be able to work into a shir. You know? Most of the time they're discussing the mitzvah of makeh on top of a house. But uh, every now and then you should try to throw in something about sneeze. So uh, this story is about 24 years old. It was like a year after we'd moved to Eretzschel. And these two Beis Yaakov girls from a very fine Beis Yaakov were over at our house for Shabbos. And evidently, when they sat down, their skirts did not cover their knees. I would not have noticed this, of course, other than the fact that through the whole meal, they kept going like this. <laughs> as if their wool skirts could stretch, but they can't. So I see this going on, you know, it's pretty obvious. And finally I say... Gee, why don't you wear longer skirts if it makes you uncomfortable? And then I went, ooh, because that's what I usually do when my wife kicks me under the table. <laughs> During those first few years, she used to do that a lot. After a while, I think she just gave up. She understood, you know. Um, so, uh, so the girls did what. I mean, I, my, my oldest kid at the time was six or seven. I didn't know this yet. Now, of course, I have a whole bunch of older kids, and they all do the same thing that these two young ladies did. They roll their eyes at me, and they're like, you know, like, here it comes, you know. And I said, what? Because now I know we hear these speeches all the time. So I said, did anyone ever tell you why you should wear a skirt that covers your knees? Yeah. Kok Fudu Bas Panima. 
and there's dargas of, of Kedusha, and everybody should, you know, that kind of stuff like this, you know. I said, that's not why. It's when you wear a short skirt, then guys uh, can look up uh, your dress. And the two of them shrieked and fell to the ground. <laughs> Evidently, nobody ever mentioned that to them, you know. I had this girl come and speak to me. She was in Darchimina. And she says, you know, she went to a base Yaakov, and she says, and I was always getting into trouble. I said, why? Because I wouldn't follow the dress code, you know. And I said, like, what? He goes, oh, they were always upset at me because I didn't button all my buttons. I said, do you know why you should button your buttons? And she's like, yeah, because it's a rule. And you're there, and you're I said, no, because otherwise guys could look down your shirt. She came in the next day all buttoned up. It was absolutely amazing. So, so now I get criticized for this because that's not the way we talk. It's much better to say, Ephesus Madrigus, sensitivity. No, that's not why. I was just speaking in a base Yaakov high school this past week. And this girl raises her hand and says, you know, well, nobody explains anything to that. I said, like, sneers, you know? I said, don't you understand? Sneers is only an issue for you because you're a girl. Now, if I could take you out of you and put you into a guy for just 10 minutes, when I put you back in your body, you will dress so tsunua you can't believe it. But you just don't get it. Which is, which is a lead up to what we're talking about this evening. And that's why the topic that I spoke about that time, it was very interesting. I spoke in Sharfman's on the topic of platonic relationships. The next morning I came into the yeshiva I was teaching in and every boy had a copy of the tape. <laughs> and as the, the week progressed, you know, I kept getting reports. Now it's in this yeshiva, now it's in that seminary, now it's in this yeshiva, now it's in this yeshiva. You know, and it soon hit every place. Uh, it was the first of my tapes to go platinum. And, uh, and evidently, I had hit a very raw nerve. It was, uh, it was interesting. Because of that, um, I was banned from Basiak of Detroit for a while. I don't know if I still am, but I know at one point I was. Because there was somebody on the, on the board who said, if a person could speak about something like this, then they're not welcome in our Basiak. But is it a problem? <clears throat> That's not the point. It doesn't matter whether it's a problem. Because if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. Is that? I was this morning in Toronto. I woke up this morning in Cincinnati. I flew to Toronto and I came back to New York. So, um, uh, Hashem. Yeah, I told someone it's hard to hit a moving target. But, uh, you know, but I was speaking in Teferis with... Rabbi Fagenbaum, who is just, he's just an original. And uh, as I was leaving, he handed me a piece of paper, which I haven't really read through yet. But he says, I just copied out excerpts from uh, different comments that are in emails I've received from Beis Yaakov girls who go to find Beis Yaakov's. I can't share my name. I'm sorry. I come from a really prominent family. I don't want to ruin the image. Um, 
I wish my school would discuss these topics openly. Being blind to them won't make anyone become better. It's so scary that so many girls don't have anyone to talk to about these challenges. I really want to try to help etc., etc. Et and it's one after another after another. You know? Um, it's just, just the, the reality of the situation is just tremendous. And the way we deal with the problem is there's no problem. There's no problem. And we don't talk about such things and we don't deal with such issues. And that's how we deal with it. And I'm not real good at that. I address the issues. And I pay a price for that. But I talk very straight. Anyway, I spoke very straight and it, it had ramifications. This is all by way of introduction because, you know, if anybody is of a sensitive nature, you know, perhaps you should leave now. <laughs> you won't get your money back, but, you know, but, uh, you know, at least I don't want to have to subject you because... They brought me in to, I don't even mind mentioning the name, uh, a parent brought me into Hannah Sachs in Chicago to speak about uh, issues that they felt the girls needed to hear about, you know? And uh, they set the, the agenda, not me. One talk was about, the, was about the technology, and one was about, you know, boys, and one was about, you know, uh, uh, secular culture, and, that, and I... And I Talk to the girls about it. And evidently, although many girls thought it was very positive, a couple of girls went over and said, why do we have to hear these things? And why would we be subjected to these things? You know, And I am now banned from Hannah Sex. So um, it's absolutely amazing how much damage I've been able to do in just a relatively <laughs> short period of time. But, um, uh, but I don't think that makes me wrong. Because at some point, someone has to speak the truth. And if nobody ever says what reality is, then it's never going to be addressed. And I appreciate that, to, to, that sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to hold on to sensitivities and hold on to these kind of things. But the world is not a nice place anymore. It's not. Um, there's, there was a Beis Yaakov in the New York area where a girl said to me that in ninth grade, Every single girl in my class was involved with boys. Every single one, to different extents. Some of them might have just been, you know, talking to, you know, to this guy. Some might be this. Some were involved very, very deeply with boys, you know. And nobody addressed it. Nobody spoke about it. Um, they did a poll of basic of uh, girls across the country. What are the top ten questions that they have? You know, I, I don't remember the exact order, but it was like, what's wrong with kosher music, and what's wrong with talking to boys, and what's wrong with this, and what's wrong with that. Very, very fundamental issues, things that I think need to be addressed. So I, I want to, I want to try to address this um, as best as I can this evening. Again, those of you who may have heard the recording, you know, many of these things will be chazar for you, but. Um, but there, but there are issues that I think we need to address. Baruch, Atah Adonai Elohim Melachayilam Shahakol Nehiyavivrov. So there is a line that I never said on the tape that most people use to sum up the entire tape. And I, if you listen closely, I never said this. A girl in the audience said this. I never said this. You know. Basically, guys are pigs and girls are stupid. I never said that. Um, I did say girls are stupid, but 
I didn't say guys are pigs. <laughs> now, I don't mean that girls are stupid in any way referring to intelligence. And I quoted at the time the story of Bruya. Now, there's an interesting, there's an interesting side part to this. Rashi quotes the story of Maisa Bruria, where Rabbi Meir said to his wife, Bruria, the Chazal said, Noshim Daiton Kalos Hain. Women's Das is Kal. And Bruria laughed. And Rabbi Meir says, Azoi. Yeah, you, you, you think this is a laugh line? Yeah. So he went back to the yeshiva and he called over one of his Talmidim. And uh, he says, I want you to do me a favor. He says, of course, Rebbe, whatever the Rebbe wants. I want you to go and seduce my wife. <laughs> okay. No, no. The Rebbe asks. What are you gonna, yeah. Now, I hope you don't think that Bruria was an easy mark. Because she was not. Yeah? There's a Gemara that says that this Tana came to the crossroads. And asked, saw Bruria and said, which is the correct road to Tzipari? And she said to him, Shaita, don't you know the Chazal say, you shouldn't talk too much to women? You should have said, where Tzipari? What are you trying to schmooze me up? <laughs> so Bruria was not going to be an easy mark. And it does not discuss what this Talmud did to be able to win over Bruria. It brought her flowers, brought her candy, talked to her. What the, I don't know what he did. It doesn't say. But whatever it is, he eventually managed to penetrate her defenses until she said yes. And the mayor jumps out and says, Ah, Nashim Daiton Kalasane. And the end of the story is that Bruria killed herself. Now, the caveat to this story took place years later when I went to speak in Camp Sternberg. And this girl comes over to me and says, I think I might have to ask Mechila from you. I said, why is that? So because I tell everybody not to listen to any of your shiurim or your tapes because you're a bad person and no one should listen to anything you have to say. I said... It could be you have to ask Mechila, I'm not sure. You know. <laughs> well, why, what motivated you to say this about me? I mean, you know, if you want to say terrible things about me, you know, you have to get in line because there's a long line of people, you know. So uh, what, what, what were you, what, you, what are you upset about? Because I heard you say, I didn't actually hear it, but someone told me you said it on a story, this story about Puria and how everybody did this, and Puria killed herself. And I said, that's disgusting. How could Bruria do, how could Rebbe do something like that to his own wife, etc., etc.? Now, first of all, I don't know what you want from me. You should tell them not to listen to Rebbe Mayer. What are you picking on me for? I just told all the story, you know? So I said, well, Rebbe Mayer felt like he had to do something because Bruria laughed, you know? He said, so what? I said, oh, I understand. I said, now, please understand, it's clear from the Gemara that Bruria was a very, very learned woman. And she was able to discuss things with the Chazal on the level of the Chazal. She was very brilliant and very learned. And when she laughed, when they said, Noshim Daiton Kalazheim, 
Rabbi Meir had too much respect for her to humor her. Understand that if you don't argue with someone when they say something that you disagree with, it's not because you have so much respect for them, it's because they're not worth your time. And you should understand that. When a wife says to her husband, I think that, and he goes, oh yeah? <laughs> That's not because he has so much respect for her opinion that he's not willing to argue. It means he doesn't care. Because if you care about what someone's saying, you're like, what are you talking about? How could you say that? And Rabbi Meir respected his wife too much to humor her. Now, he understood what the problem was. Buria thought that when the Chacham said, Noshim Daitin Kalazan, it meant women are stupid. And she knows for a fact women aren't stupid. And Rabbi Meir knew that women aren't stupid, because that's not what we're talking about. There are different words for intelligence. There's Seichel, there's Chachma, there's Bina, there's Das. Each one of them means different things. Das means... Thank you. I, I planted a few, uh, a few uh, people in the audience. Das always means your sense of reality. Chachma is acquired information. I read, I learn, someone tells me, I see, I acquire information. That's Chachma. Bina is animevin. It's how I understand that information. And based on the understanding of that information, I come up with a conclusion. That conclusion is called Das. When I say aniyodeya, I am defining my sense of reality. Now, sometimes we know things and we don't really care. I.e., um, when I went to school, there were nine planets. I assume for most of you, you had a similar experience. When I went to school, we had a mnemonic device to remember the planets. Mary visits every Monday. It's Mars, uh, Mary visits Venus, Earth, and Mars, right? Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars. And asteroid belt just stays. Jupiter, Saturn, until noon, Uranus, Neptune, period. (laughs) Now, why was there a period at the end? Because when they came up with this mnemonic device, there was no Pluto. So when they found Pluto, they had to add a little P at the end. So they just made it period. So I, you know, people in the next generation, I guess they thought this was a little lame. So they came up with, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. Yeah. Now, about two years ago, they decided that Pluto is no longer a planet. Which for me is not a problem. I just take off the period. (laughs) Mary visits every Monday and just stays until noon. I'm fine. But imagine how silly your generation feels when they go, my very educated mother just served us nine and there's nothing there. So I don't have that problem. Now, Pluto used to be a planet. It's no longer a planet. I haven't found anybody who's real broken up about this. In fact, if you would have told me, guess what? There never was a Pluto. It was just a smudge on the lens. People would have been okay too. People don't really care. There is a Pluto. It's not a Pluto. So when we define das and I say I know something, if it doesn't make a difference, it doesn't make a difference. What do I care? Yeah? But sometimes we find out something that shakes us to our foundations. 
And one time they let slip the fact that you were in fact adopted. And you're like, what? Oh, your mom never told you? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, everybody in the family knew, but I, I guess your mom was going to tell you later, I guess. you know, Yeah, yeah, you were adopted. That can't be. There are pictures of me when I was a baby. Of course. They adopted you as a baby. You know? <laughs> no, but I look just like my mom. I know, I know. She looked for a baby who looked like her. You know? <laughs> no, but it can't be. Grandma told me. Grandma's in on it, too. This one's in on it. Everybody's in on it. You're really adopted. Now, you tell that to somebody, it's really going to shake them up. Because das, real das, when I really know something, it becomes a part of who I am. Yeah? There are people who say, I know, and they don't know at all. The best, the best group is the ones who say, I know, I know. They for sure don't know. <laughs> and in my career, there has never been anything more frightening than a teenager who says to me, don't worry, Rabbi, I know what I'm doing. And I say, I also know what you're doing. That's the problem. You understand? Because they're sure they really know. They discovered that um, the reason that insurance is higher for teenagers uh, when they drive is because they're totally irresponsible. That's not fair. They're not totally irresponsible. They're more irresponsible. And there's something in their brain that releases a chemical that causes them to take risks. It's a chemical thing. That's why when I took the road test, I don't know if it's still this way, they told me to drive between 18 and 23 miles an hour with your hands at 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, checking your mirrors every three seconds. Yeah? I don't know if these are still the rules they give you in driver's ed. Yeah? This is not someone driving a car. This is something from It's a Small World. <laughs> da, 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 da. So somebody said to me, if they want to see if I could drive a car, they should tell me to do it for real. Crank up the music so it's blasting. One hand hanging out the window, the other one with a diet soda, and I'm steering with my knee. Because that's how I'm really going to drive. And a girl in Darchibina, her father said to her that she's not getting the car until he drives with her on the highway while she's putting on her makeup. Because <laughs> I know you're going to do it anyway. I just have to see that you can drive the car into those circumstances, you know? People take risks. So people say, I know, I know. You don't really know. Real knowledge is something where I know something to the point that it becomes part of my essence. That's what I really know. More than one from person has said to me, I know there's a God, I just don't believe it. You know, I haven't, it hasn't become a part of me. It's an intellectual understanding. But real das is when I have a real sense of reality. Noshim Daitan Kalos Hain is not a statement about intelligence. It's a statement about a sense of reality. And says the Radal in Medrash Rabbah, excuse me, in Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, when it says Noshim Daitan Kalos Hain, it's referring to only one specific idea. And that is when it comes to guys. Girls have a blind spot. Every guy knows this. Because you can see some guy giving a girl a line that is so completely insincere. And every guy in the room is snickering. And the girl goes, really? <laughs> now I'm talking about intelligent people. I'm talking about educated, intelligent women that I have met. Adults, not little kids 
whose hearts have been broken by insincere guys. And I said, but why did you believe him? And he, she, the answer is, because he said he meant it. I said, but if he was lying, wouldn't he say he meant it? Nobody lies and then says, by the way, I'm lying. You understand? <laughs> of course a person is going to... Now, let me make a, let me make a statement here, because this is, where, this is where the mistake came in, I think, when I, I tried to explain this. There are boys out there who want to marry nice girls, and they want to invest in their marriage. There, there are guys like that. I was just speaking to a young lady who said to me, there are no more guys, they were all eaten by zombies. <laughs> so I said, listen, maybe zombies make a good husband. I don't really know, but, you know, if you've run out of living, go for the dead. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, you know. But, but, uh, but, but, this, but this idea that, you know... Um, there's nobody, there's nobody, okay, but, but I know for a fact there are good boys who are not interested in getting involved in casual relationships with girls. They are saving themselves for marriage. And therefore, they're not interested in getting involved in a relationship. Yeah? Until they get married with the right person and invest in that. That's a good boy. There's nothing wrong with that guy. He understands he has the potential to get involved in a relationship that will be unhealthy for himself and the young lady, and he doesn't want to. That's a good quality boy. That's what we're looking for. Then there are boys who want to have, for want of a better word, a casual sexual experience. Now that sounds really bad, and I want it to. I chose my words carefully, designed for the shock value, yeah? What do I mean by that? A girl says to me, there's nothing going on. We're just talking. We're just talking. I said, listen, I'm going to let you in. There's a whole bunch of phone numbers where a guy can call and talk to a girl, and they're going to pay like three, four dollars a minute for that experience. And they're just talking. And the girl says, yeah, but it's what they're saying. I said, what does it make what they're saying? The, the point is I'm paying money to be able to talk to a girl. Why would I do that? I'm not looking at her. I don't see her. I'm just hearing her voice. So that nobody thinks that this is just a flight of fancy. There is a famous tshuva by Rabbi Moshe Feinstein in, in Igris Moshe where somebody asks, a delightful kasha. There's a shayla. What is the din of a bachar and a bachura, an unmarried man, boy and an unmarried girl who want to have a relationship b'shem reus, just friends, not for zivugim, not for nisuin. They're just a boy and a girl who want to be friends. That's all. And they want to have a relationship. And the person says to Rabbi Maisha, I don't want to hear Musr. I don't want to hear Han Hagas Tavis. Just Halacha Psuka. You hear? Just straight Halacha. Don't give me a Musr Shmuz here. And Rabbi Maisha begins the Tshuva by saying, 
I'm not going to give you any halachas tovos. I'm not going to give you any musa. Just halacha psuka. And he brings an avas to Rabbi Nassim, who says, it's a chazal, right? It says, below sigrul agavos erava. You can't come close to reveal, you know, um, nakedness. Which means that you're not allowed, not only you're not allowed to have relations, you can't come close. So, the, it says the Ovid's Rabbi Nosem. You might think that it's okay to have chibuk, venishuk, dibor, that I can hug and kiss and talk. Don't come close. Says with Moshe, what you see from this is that talking is a form of casual sexual relations. And the, every guy knows this, and in their heart, every girl knows this. Because many girls will tell you, it's more fun to talk to a boy than to talk to a girl. And they'll give svaras why. I don't know, girls can be petty and girls can be catty and guys are very straightforward and blah, 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 blah. That's not why. It's because it's fun to talk to a boy. Just like for a boy, it's fun to talk to a girl. Now, I'm going to let you know a little secret. When boys are talking to other boys, they would never put up with the stuff that they put up with when they talk to a girl. So a girl calls up a guy and she says, I don't know. And the guy is going, and he's thinking only one thing. Girl, 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 Yeah. And the girl thinks he really understands me. Now, if a guy would say to another guy, what this girl is saying to the guy, he would say, shut up. <laughs> Maybe he'd hit him, you know, which is how guys react. Guys don't sit there and talk about their feelings because they don't have any. <laughs> Someone sent me an email once. It says two guys can sit and watch a football game for two hours without either one of them saying a word and neither one thinks that the other one must be angry at me. <laughs> But you have two girls in a room, and you can see this all the time, and neither one's talking, and they go like this. <laughs> they can't handle it. It's too much for them. Girls are always talking, even when there's nobody there. They talk to themselves. That's why us poor husbands, we come home, and we're in the middle of a fight we didn't even know about. So our wife started without us, you know? And we don't, we don't even know. We don't know what's going on. You know? Because, you know, they're talking about stuff like feelings. Like, you know, what are we supposed to know about that? You know? It's, you know? Guys are, are, you're right. They're very straightforward. You know? And, and, and therefore, a guy likes to talk to a girl because it's fun. Now, having said that, a, a guy is almost never content at whatever level he's at unless he gets to ratchet it up. So I used to get this question. I don't know if people still ask this question. We ask this question. What's wrong with holding hands? We're not doing anything. We're just holding hands. And I say, you're right. When a boy and a girl are holding hands, the only one who's holding hands is the girl. 
No guy wants to spend the evening holding a girl's hand. He's not going to go home and call up his friends and say, Hey, I held her hand tonight. <laughs> Did I tell you about that? When a pretty girl walks past a group of guys, they don't say, Hey, I want to hold her hand. <laughs> That's no goal whatsoever to a guy. That's not the way guys are programmed. Guys are programmed for one thing. That's how Kurdish Baruch Hu made us. Yeah? That's why we're supposed to get married, you know, and bring in many beautiful children into the world. So, during my first year in show, I had these two intelligent and attractive young women in their late 30s who were living on the west side at our house. They came, they came to Israel, you know, they were at our house. And I said, so how come you guys aren't married? Ooh! <laughs> wife kicked me out of the table. I didn't realize that was an inappropriate thing to say, you know, but, but okay, you know. So they look at each other, and they said to me, because the guys are having too good a time. There's no motivation for a guy to get married. They were telling me on the West Side, I haven't checked this out, I don't know if this is true, this is what they told me. That it is not uncommon, if a guy would like, to have a young lady go with him to a very inspiring Kabbalah Shabbos, and then come back home and she will make him a um, beautiful Shabbos dinner, which they'll enjoy together, and then end the evening like any other married couple. And I said, could this really be? And I spoke to people, and they told me that there were rabbinim on the West Side who had to speak out publicly against tefillin dates. I had never heard this term before. A tefillin date is a date where you bring your tefillin along because you'll need it for the morning. There are mikvos that cater to single women. So that at least it shouldn't be kares. It's beautiful. Now, why in the world would a guy under those circumstances want to get married? Now, let me, let me make it worse. There was, uh, there was uh, 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, something like that. I'm in an Ask the Rabbi session. And I get asked the question out of left field. Rabbi, what's the din of a pilegesh? Pilegesh? You mean like a concubine? Like in the Torah? Like a, 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 a pilegesh? Why do you ask me that? Because there was an article in a magazine called Marie Claire about a group of men in um, Brooklyn who are reviving the concept of pilegesh. There are older Jewish girls who realize their opportunities of finding a good guy are diminishing. And they decided that since all the good guys are married, let's use them. And so they become a pilegesh to a married man. With the, you know, knowledge of their wife, because sometimes their wife really can't handle all of their husband's demands, and she's just as happy to have somebody else in the picture. And they interviewed several couples from couples where there was a husband and a wife and a pilegesh. And it was quite a story. <laughs> now, I don't know if this is still popular, but uh, suddenly, and it was a six-month thing, I had to suddenly start answering questions of pilegesh. Where did this come from? Out of left field, you know? So, I was trying to figure this out, because obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu created Odom and Chava, not Odom, Chava, and Susie, who had the apartment attached, you know? <laughs> So what's going on over here? 
Anyway, I, I was trying to answer this question. I, I was coming up with different approaches. And then one time I'm in a question and answer, answer and somebody asks me about aguna, which is always a difficult answer, right? Very difficult, painful thing. And, um, and they say, why can't we, you know, create a situation where both the man and the woman can give a get? And then it hit me. That's the answer. I said, oh, you want to be a pilegesh. Girl said, what? I said, you know, a concubine. That's what a pilegesh is. I now I finally understood where the Torah came up with this. There are certain women who are terrified by the idea that they might marry a man who might end up blackmailing them and not giving them their get. So the Torah offered an alternative option. It's called pilegesh. The two of you agree to live together monogamously. And you can have children, do whatever you want. And there's no marriage, no kedushin, no, no, uh, no nisuin, no getting. Anytime you want, both of you pick up your stuff and you leave. And it's over. I said, so you want to be a pilegish? Now the truth is there are a few words in this world that cause a girl's skin to crawl off her body like concubine. You understand? Know I said, you want to be pilegish? You want to be a concubine? Concubine, concubine, concubine. And she's like, no, I want to be a wife. I said, no, you don't. Because a wife is defined by kedushin, and then there's going to be a get, and then and you don't want that. Because it could be the guy who blackmail you. You want to be a pilagish. I said, but let's not take marriage and turn it into pilagishes. Just tell, just tell the guy, I, I, listen, you seem like a really nice guy, but I don't think that I want to actually marry you. I want to be your pilagish. And this way, whenever I want to leave, I don't have to wait for a get. I just pick up my stuff and go. Now, I've asked this question to guys. And guys are fine with that relationship. They wouldn't mind arranging with a girl that she'll be her pelegish instead of her, his wife. And wives seem absolutely appalled by this concept. Women want to be a wife. Now, isn't that strange? Because if a man gets to marry a woman, you know, and make her her isha, with Kedushin, then he could blackmail her and withhold the get and do all kinds of horrible things. And yet he'd prefer a Pelegish. And a woman who in a Kedushin situation is at a disadvantage would prefer that over being a Pelegish. Why? Because that's the reason that Kedush Baruch Hu set up Kedushin and get in the way he did. Those guys don't want to get married. I've asked these questions to audiences, religious, not religious, Jewish, not Jewish, all around the world. Who wants to get married more, guys or girls? Everybody gives me the same answer. Girls. And God knew that too. He's very smart. And he said, in that case, I have to give a mitzvah to the man to get married. Women don't have a mitzvah to get married. Women don't have to get married and have children. There's no mitzvah. They say, why do women have to be, you know, barefoot and pregnant? I said, they don't. They don't have to get married. They're not over any of error. It's not a problem. Only men have a mitzvah to get married. They have to find a nice girl who's willing to help them do the mitzvah. You understand? But who's the one you put in charge of the relationship? Not the one who wants to be married. The one who doesn't. So you say to the man, you have to give the kedushin. And if it ends, you have to give the get. Because when a guy wants to end the relationship, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the guts to really end it. He just becomes passive-aggressive. And he becomes like, nah, 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 until the girl finally says, look, this isn't working. And he's like, listen, whatever you want to do, I, I, you know, I, you know I, I, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. If you want to end it, I understand. You know but they're too, too, too much of a coward to actually take responsibility. So Coach Brothers says, no, no, no. You're going to make this marriage, and you're going to break this marriage, and it's in your hands. No sense putting it in charge of the person who doesn't want it, 
Because a guy would be perfectly happy to have a Pelegish relationship. Because commitment scares them. And, and it's something... So now again, like I said, if you have a good boy who's waiting for that, etc. So a guy is very content to be able to establish a casual relationship with a girl where he will get pleasure from being close to a girl, talking to a girl, maybe add a certain um, physical dimension to it. And there's a rule once you pass that barrier. Because when there's a physical dimension, and I, girls always have said this to me over the years, you know, but we've drawn a line. We're not going to cross this line. And when they cross that line, they say, well, we've drawn another line. And they keep drawing lines and there's too, no more room left to draw. Because, obviously, could you imagine that I really like a guy, and a guy really likes me, and we sit there and we talk all the time, and we share, and we build this intimate relationship. And then one time we're talking late at night, and I don't know, maybe I'm upset. I'm kind of vulnerable. And the two of us are talking, you know, about how we feel and things, you know. And I don't know, I just, I feel so, I, I, I really, you know. And he says, you could really use a hug. And I go, And the guy's thinking to himself, yeah. But he doesn't say that because he's not stupid. He's like, they're there. <laughs> I feel bad about this too. I just want to be supportive for you. Yeah. I, I had a guy in my shear who I told over the following story. This, there was an out-of-town base Yaakov, you know, relatively small. Now, that's pretty funny because I was just in Cincinnati where they have nine girls, so they don't know what small means, you know. I said, no, there's about 60 girls in the base Yaakov. And this guy was going out with half of them at the same time. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> now, I said, how did you do that, you know? So I said, didn't they tell each other what you were doing? He says, you know, I mean, he, he, gave, me, he gave me a marshal. And he says, you know, one, you know, the yeshiva doesn't let you go down to a lot. You know, so one time I was down in a lot and I saw another guy from the yeshiva. So someone asked me, aren't you afraid he's going to tell on you? He says, no, because he'll have to explain what he's doing in a lot. You understand? So I'm pretty safe. Yeah, the same thing over here when a girl is going out with a guy and she knows that she's not allowed to she's not going to talk about it with somebody else who's also not allowed to so for the most part it's pretty safe they don't compare notes and if they do and they tell me about it so then I say she doesn't mean anything to me she just chases me around and I don't know how to get rid of her you know you are the only one I care about anyway he's got 30 of these relationships going at the same time I said but how do you how do you you know get 30 base Yaakov girls and half the school to go out the other. And he said, you have to get over that initial hump where they think that you're not supposed to talk to boys. Because obviously if they don't talk to boys, there's nothing I can do. So you have to call them up about something, get them involved in the discussion until you can get them going on a regular basis. And then you arrange to meet someplace. And then you let nature take its course. <laughs> That's how he did it. I washed my hands after I finished that conversation. <laughs> I felt soiled. But he said something that was so profound. Obviously, if a girl doesn't talk to a boy, then it's not going to get much further. 
you got to get them over that initial hump where they think it's wrong to talk to boys. You see, once I can get that, then everything will flow. So this dark Mina girl comes to me. And she says, listen, I have a situation here. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. Okay. She's sitting on a bus talking to another Darchimina girl about what else? Gur Arye, you know, which they had just done in class, you know. And they were discussing, you know, what was Pshat, the Gur Arye. And this yeshiva guy sitting behind him says, that's not Pshat in the Gur Arye. Now, even the strongest girl who doesn't believe it's right to talk to boys is not going to sit back when they tell her that she has the wrong shot in the Goraya. Understand? <laughs> she says, what are you talking about? You know, Rabbi Curland explained it like this, and that. it's right over there, it's black and white. Because that's not true. I have Rabbi Hartman's footnotes. Look, he writes like this, because that's not true, because the, because the, the Maharal in Kavuris Hashem says like this and this and this. He says, I don't know, we never saw it. And then it goes, I'm telling you, it's what he says. Give me your number, I'll call you up, I'll, I'll tell you where it is. And she gives him his number. Good, huh? And he calls that night and he reads them the, the Guru Hashem and they go back and forth and then, you know, and he comes out and he says, you know what, you're right, that was the wrong shot. Please. No, I'm sorry. Okay. He calls him the next night and says, I found a different Maharal. This Maharal says like this and I don't know if that fits in and then they went to another little discussion and then it comes out she was right a second time. He calls up the next night talking about something else completely. She wasn't sure how that tied into the Guru but okay, yeah. He calls up the fourth night. And now she's starting to think to herself, this doesn't seem right. Because I don't talk to boys, you know. So uh, she says to him, why are you calling me? He says, oh, I don't know, because we were just, you know, we were talking and, you know, just, you know, no, 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 I, I, I don't talk to boys. Goes, oh, no, no, of course not. I don't talk to girls either. No, we were just, <laughs> But okay, of course. You know, fine. Calls up the next night and says, you know, it's interesting. I was speaking to my mashkiach. And he thought that it might be good for my learning if we talk. Because it provides me with an outlet, he thought, etc., etc., and so he thinks it's a good idea. That's when she comes to me and says, am I mechuyiv to talk to this guy to help his learning? (laughs) And I said, dumb, dumb, dumb is what I said. Don't you see what this guy is doing? I can see what this guy is doing. This guy's friends could see what he's doing. Anyway, I told the story over in one of my shirim once, and this guy, he was it goes like a, you know, a yeshivish, uh, you know, dropout kind of guy. He goes, no, everybody knows that. You start talking to a girl, and you make her feel like you really care about her and what she has to say. I mean, nobody really cares what she's saying, you know. But you pretend you listen, you know, and then you can get almost anything you want. I thought that was so warm and fuzzy. (laughs) Now, there are people who get involved in a relationship for whatever reason it may be. And then they realize at some point that this is not healthy, etc., etc., and they want to get out of it. Or, they're being pressured to take this relationship to another level that, even though they may be comfortable talking, they're not comfortable moving to the next level. And you have guys who say things like, how could you do this to me? I thought we were friends. You know, don't I mean anything to you? If you really cared about me even a little bit, then you would. And girls feel bad. Guys don't feel bad. 
I know girls who missed out on their entire year in Eretz Shell because this guy was like, don't go to Eretz Shell and from out and then like leave me and stuff. And so she was a good girl and she didn't from out. And then he goes to Eretz Shell and he froms out and drops her like a hot potato without even a backward glance. And she's like, how could you do this to me? He goes, well, I can't talk to you. You talk to boys. <laughs> so the boy I was talking to was you. See, I know, but I'm past that. I want a girl who doesn't talk to boys. Because <laughs> guys are incredible hypocrites. Yeah? Uh, I should point this out. I, I, I may have pointed this out in the past, but it, it bears repetition. The world is not a fair place. A boy can be as bad as he wants. And then he goes off to show and he learns stock for two years. <laughs> Forget about it if it's three years. And then all is forgiven. And a girl was one time seen talking to a boy in a parking lot, and that's it. It will haunt her for the rest of her life. Because the world is not a fair place. You know? And that's why I always come out on the side of the girls. Because I see how the girls get hurt, and I see how the girls get used, and I don't care about the guys. The guys will always manage. Don't worry. They'll manage for themselves. They'll always find somebody who's insecure enough and needy enough that they'll be able to manipulate her into doing what they want. I'm not worried about them. I'm worried about the girls. Nice girls who get pulled into these relationships not realizing what's going to happen from them. So there are girls who insist there's nothing to it. I don't like him. He's like a brother to me. I don't know if you ever heard this one. It's one of my favorites. I'm not even attracted to him. You know, he's like a brother to me. So I said, did you ever hear a girl say that she was in a relationship with a guy and they were just friends and nothing would ever come of it? And they said, yeah. And they said, did you ever hear where then at some point the relationship changes and then they end up going out as boyfriend-girlfriend? Yeah. Did you ever hear of a brother and sister who started dating? <laughs> no. They're thinking. No. <laughs> Maybe. Wait. <laughs> no. Brothers and sisters don't date each other. But how is it that this guy and this girl who swore to everybody were just friends, were just friends, he's like my brother, and then at some point they start dating? Could it be that the relationship changed? Have you ever heard a story of a girl who says, oh, that guy, I don't find him attractive at all. And then as the relationship starts to grow, she says, I don't know, maybe he's kind of cute. He didn't change, her perception changed. And so it can, a person can say, well, I, it doesn't really mean anything to me, but I'm investing in a relationship. So there was this couple where the guy was a really, really nice guy, but he was kind of quiet, you know. And, uh, and he worked, and uh, on Friday night, you know, they would have over a lot of guests from the Heritage House. And uh, when she was, you know, eventually he would like, you know, he was falling asleep because he worked all week and go to sleep. But his wife was very vivacious and, you know, and outgoing. And she would sit and, and argue with these people and argue religion, argue philosophy. And it was like, you know, anyway, this one guy came who was very intellectual. And he starts arguing and she argues back. And then she knows her stuff, you know. And he was intrigued. And he came back for another Shabbos and another Shabbos and they would keep arguing. And eventually he went to yeshiva, you know, and he became from, and he was much part of the family. And eventually she divorced her husband and married him. Which makes sense. 
Because how many intimate relationships can you have at a time? You know? And so, I, 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 your girls say, well, he's just a, he's, he's not a boyfriend. He's a friend. He's a boy. He's just my boyfriend, but not a boyfriend. He's a boyfriend. There's nothing there. You know? I said, so you don't mind if your husband has a few girlfriends. Not, not girlfriends, but, you know, friends who are girls. You know? It'd be beautiful at your chasana. The three of them will come in and do a special dance for their friend, your chassan. <laughs> and one night he'll say, you don't mind, I'm going to go out with my friends for dinner. Shani, bani, khani, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, you don't mind, right? You can get together with your two friends, you know, uh, Mailuch and uh, Kevin, you know, and, uh, you know, go out too, that's okay. So he's not nice, we all have our own little friends. So more than one girl said to me, he says, no, once I... Once I get married, I'll, I'll drop these guys, you know, in a second. <laughs> Instead, how much this friendship means to me, I'm basically using these guys till I find a real guy, and then I'll dump them without a second thought and toss them away like a used tissue. But don't you understand that the guy's prepared to do the same thing to you? So when I get myself involved in a relationship, relationships are very strong things. And that's it. You know, someone said to me, well, well, what about a co-worker? What about this? I said, in the Torah, there's only two relationships between a man and a woman. One is called marriage. The other is called znus. We only have two. We don't have another one. You never find, you know, uh, Avram and Sally, you know, who were just friends, and they would get together, you know, and then, and, you know, have some tongue with mustard. You know what I mean? It didn't exist. Avram was Makai of the men, and Zara was Makai of the women, and everybody stayed on the opposite sides. And that's the way it was. You don't find uh, what we call Reus. And Moshe says, obviously, because it's us. So, uh, so th- the fact is that there are a lot of people who get involved in these relationships and they get very hurt. It doesn't take much to get hurt. The way the shidduch system is set up today, that before you can go out, you know, we have to call in the CIA and the FBI, you know, and, the, you know, and the, the Russian Secret Service, you know, and we have to find out everything about this guy, and we do our investigative thing, and, and you are given updates, you know. I heard this, I heard that, you know. And the whole time, you're slowly developing this deep relationship with this guy you never met. So by the time you go out... You've already been writing your name and his last name. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you all said. And you go out on one date, and the guy says no. And, and a girl just had a divorce. Because she was already married with two kids. You know what I mean? And this guy, they really had only one date, but she was so devastated. Now, what do you think it's like when a person has a deep, meaningful relationship with a guy, and this goes on for years, and then, boom, it just ends. That's a wrenching experience. And there are girls who are scarred by this for the rest of their lives. That's a, a relationship is a very powerful thing. We can't play with these things. We don't even realize how powerful they are in our lives. So, a person has to make a decision. A person has to look ahead and say, okay, what do I want out of life? What kind of a relationship do I want with my husband, what kind of a marriage do I want, what kind of a thing I get, and I have to decide how to invest in this and by the way, this happens when you when you get married too 
you know, my Dachibina Shanabek girls, now I've given them, you know, this assignment in certain years. Go out to Cafe Ramon on a Motsi Shabbos. Look at those three couples, you know, where they're all learning in Kolel, you know. The boys are learning Kolel, the girls are looking for work, you know, and, uh, and they're all being supported, you know. <laughs> and they go out from Lava Malka to, uh, to Cafe Ramon. I said, see if you can see which wife belongs to which husband. And they often come back and say, you can't tell. You know, you can't tell. And, and those aren't the worst stories that I've heard. People come back, you know, once I, once I get them to look out for it, they come back and tell me some absolutely horrific stories. Even after people are married. Because they don't respect the power of a relationship between a guy and a girl. HaKadosh Baruch Hu set it up that there's two halves of a whole. And it's an extremely powerful thing. And men have a tremendous amount of passion and women have a tremendous amount of emotional need. And when the two of them meet together for real, that's unbelievable. And when a man is looking for an opportunity to be able to express his passion without trying to become two parts of one whole, people are going to get very hurt. So uh, those are... Some of my thoughts. I have many more thoughts, but I would like to, as they say in Parshas Korach, throw open the floor. And um, if there are any questions, I'm happy to try to answer them as best as I can or tell an irrelevant story, which is what they teach us in rabbi school. You don't have to ask questions. We could just take a moment of stunned silence. <laughs> because this is, a, this is, like I tell you, I don't think most people talk this straight. And when you do, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable, but it should. I'd rather make people uncomfortable now than have you come to me later and tell me how uncomfortable you are because of this failed relationship or this difficult situation you found yourself in because you really believe that this guy was the exception to the six billion people in this world. Yes? What's a wise getter? And how do you know when to stop? A wise getter for what? For the So, there are three approaches. One approach is to be friendly. Hi, how are you? Nice to see you. And have a casual conversation. Um, guys love friendly girls. They look for friendly girls. Bubbly, smiley, friendly girls who like to talk are the, the best girls they're looking for. Then there are girls who don't have anything to do with guys. The ice maidens. The, the, a guy comes over to them and they turn into a block of ice and go... <laughs> and if the guy doesn't get the hint, then they say, why are you talking to me? <laughs> I saw girls like this, you know? Um, or a guy talks to them and they just burst into tears, you know? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's ineffective. It's just not everybody can pull that off. The third one is to be polite, but not friendly. So a person says, hi. You say, hi. How's it going? Good. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, have you seen uh, Shania? I tell you, I really haven't. But 
I'm sure you can find a number. <laughs> I'm being polite, but I'm not being friendly. I'm not sending any, hi, let's take this further vibes. Gee, you're a really nice guy. Let's continue this conversation. I'm there, but I'm maintaining myself at a respectful distance. This is good also, by the way, just irrelevant, but when you have difficult relatives. There are relatives, I have some like this, who they, they, they're always saying hurtful things to you, but not all the time. <laughs> Sometimes they seem like they're completely normal. And you let down all your guards, you're having a normal conversation, and then they go, womp, 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 and you're like, whoa, you know? So you can only fall for that so many times until you say to yourself, this is a dysfunctional relationship. And then I approach those relationships the same way I, I approach you know, a social situation where I'm polite, but I keep my distance because at any time, they're going to shoot the photon torpedoes and my shields aren't up. And you understand, I lose my dilithium crystals, that's it. <laughs> Lost in a metaphor. Anyway, <laughs> yes. Um, what about this playing married to a good girl? They get the guests at the chef's table, and the head of the table is sitting in the dark corner. It's very interesting. She's supposed to like not make eye contact and not speak back or anything. So, this is another problem that you see a lot the shop's table. I have met more than one couple who have gotten together at somebody's shop's table. The boys were up front, and the girls were in the back, and a boy starts giving his Torah, and the girl says, no, that's not Pshat and Rashi. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? And he says, no, take a look. If you look at the lodge, you know, and before you know it, the two of them are going at it. Nothing like seeing a guy and a girl hovering over a Rashi. <laughs> and, and her hair is, you know, getting in her eyes, and she's pushing them back, and the guy is like, you know, like this, and the two of them, the body language is, is just clear, you know. And the prettier the girl is, the more intensely the guy will engage in this argument. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but I have observed this. And, um, and therefore, it is best for you to reserve your comments until after the Shabbos meal, and perhaps ask the Balabayas afterwards what he thought of the day, or ask your rabbinic advisor, etc. But I would be wary before getting involved in religious arguments with um, available young men. That's my own advice. Depends on the age. So if he's old... <laughs> and relatively well behaved. <laughs> I have to add that in today. Because <laughs> unfortunately, age is no longer a barrier, you know. Um, because I've had more than one girl who have gone to people's houses for Shabbos and been creeped out. That was the lotion they used by the Balbayas. And, uh, and I have had girls in Dar who went to do chesed at people's houses and the husband came on to them more than once. And uh, therefore, you know, I'm, I'm wary. I'm wary of engaging in, in things. But assuming the guy is relatively old, relatively harmless, you know, <laughs> instead of 
ogling you at the Shabbos table, he's basically falling asleep. You know, and that, that's a good measure of a guy who's relatively safe. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I've been at Shabbos tables where I see the Balabayas staring at the girls. I, I have a sixth sense of humor because, you know, it's awesome for me to look at the girls, but it's okay for me to look at the guys. And I look at the guys looking at the girls. <laughs> and I have to say, that's been an eye-opening, enlightening experience. <laughs> in fact, when I was once talking to a group of girls about sneers, I said, next time that you're in a room where there's a girl who's dressed inappropriately, watch the guys. See what they're looking at, you know? And it's a, it's a pretty creepy experience. So therefore... Um, you know, guys are guys. That's, that's the bottom line. We know too many stories today of too many scandals, of too many things where you think, at, at what point is it safe? The, the din of Yichud applies to Reb Chaim Kanievsky. If you're in a room alone with Reb Chaim Kanievsky, you have to leave the door open, you have to have somebody there, because he, because the, the expression of Einah Petrabas Laraius applies to the biggest tzaddik in the world. And, uh, and therefore we should be careful. You, you can never err on the side of caution. Yes? What about for those of us that it's a little too late and we've been in colored um, environments our whole life and we've been making relationships and that even though I completely agree with you, they're never 100% just platonic, but we do have some relationships with these people who can't. And I... So I, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to stop because I see you starting to fall apart now as the question is considering. And I feel your pain. I went to the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County, which was a co-ed elementary and high school. And I had girls in my class, you know. Some of them, not all of them were nasty to me. Some of them were downright civil. <laughs> But I was also involved in the youth organization in my school. And there was a girl there who was older than me. And, um, and we had a relationship. She had lost her father. We were talking, etc. I never thought of it as anything, you know. And I went off to Yeshiva, Chavetz Chaim. And I would write her and she would write me. Because we were friends, you know. And one of the rebames, see, I'm getting these letters from a girl. So he says, my hi. I said, there's a girl in my community. You know, he says... You can't do this. No, I was a young and impressionable yeshiva bacher. I had that basic amunas chacham that if your rebbe tells you not to do something, I assume it's true. And I wrote her a letter saying, I'm sorry, I, I can't correspond with you anymore. My rebbe said that I'm not allowed to. You know, and it's nothing personal, and you know that I have no bad feelings towards you, etc. And she's a true friend to this day. And you know how I know she was a true friend? Because she wrote me back the following letter. I disagree with what you're saying, but as a friend, I respect your choice. Friends don't put friends in a manipulative position to do things that make them feel uncomfortable. And if I tell a friend I feel uncomfortable with this relationship, then a friend says, if you feel uncomfortable, then the last thing I want to do is make you feel uncomfortable. A person who's not a friend, but who's a rapist, either emotionally or physically, says, how can you do this to me? I don't understand. We've been friends for a long time. You don't have, you don't have a right to do this to me. You can't break off this relationship just because you don't want to. You have to stay in it because I want you to. 
Now, think about the implications of those words. Now, if you find yourself in a relationship with a person like this, and you want to get out of it. If you don't want to get out of it, you don't have a problem. But if you want to get out of it, so how do you get out of it? Now, sometimes a baby is born with six fingers. Do you know how they get rid of the six finger? No, that's too traumatic. They tie a string around it, which cuts off the blood flow, and it just withers and falls off. It doesn't hurt the kid. You know, think that's all it takes. Tie a string around it, cuts off the blood flow, etc. The same is true by relationships. You have to cut off the blood flow, which means you don't have to be like this guy that I had in yeshiva who decided he wasn't talking to girls, and whenever he met a girl from his community, and they said, "Oh, hi, Moish," and he said, "Drop dead," <laughs> which I think is a little extreme. But all I have to do is pull back. As I described, I can be polite. Hi, how are you doing that? How come you're not answering my texts? Well, you know, you do text me about 17 times a day, and, you know, and I do have other things to do, you know. But uh, I'll get back to you, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, I just have been so busy, you know. I'm not making any issues. I'm not making any grand statements. I'm just slowly pulling myself back. And the relationship ends on its own. I know this because I've seen marriages that have fallen apart for nothing other than lack of effort. So if you can end a marriage that way, then you can certainly end a non-marriage relationship the same way. But it takes a certain sense of determination. Sometimes people don't want to do it because they enjoy the relationship. And then people get stuck in it. But I just want to point out one thing. If you do believe in the shidduch system, do you understand that if I have an ongoing relationship with a guy for six months, a year, two years. Any guy that I go out with now is two years behind this guy, who I'm not going to marry. He doesn't want to marry me, I'm not going to marry him, but we have this intimate relationship. That's something to consider. Yes? Um, if, if there are like organizations that are in the it is a pro environment, but it could be done in a way where, where, like, where there are clear boundaries and lines, then is that still something to stay with? You have to know yourself. Because I know people who go to co ed environments and they don't think they're going to get involved, and they do get involved. I, I, this girl was going off to Brooklyn College, and I said, I said let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start off with a sense of determination. I'm not talking to the boys, I'm only talking to the girls. And then this guy comes over to you after class one time and says, listen, I missed the last class, can I borrow your notes? I know it's raining, do you mind if I just share your umbrella just till we get to the next class? <laughs> no, just because I'm, I'm getting soaked it. You know? And I gave several other lines, and, they, and this girl said to me, you're so crazy, none of that would happen. And by the end of, six, by the end of first semester, she said to me, Everything. To borrow your notes, to borrow the umbrella. <laughs> like, 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 every line you used, like, I got every single one of them, you know? And because girls, you know, nobody wants to be rude and nobody wants to be unpleasant and everybody wants to be accommodating, you know? Um, that's what it means when it says, Noshim Daikin Kalazin. That's why there's a din of Mephate in the Torah. A woman can be seduced. A girl once asked me, a guy can be seduced too. I said, you're right. 
But a girl who's been seduced and does something against her will, she wakes up the next morning and feels disgusted and wants to kill herself. A guy calls all his friends and says, you can't believe what happened to me yesterday. You know what I mean? Guys, guys don't go through the same emotional angst that a girl does. So therefore, when you find yourself in a co-ed situation, you have to be very, very strong. I'm, I'm not going to say that you can't go, but I'm saying that you have to be very careful. It's hard to do. Yes? What about men who were married, widowed, or divorced, and had their children? Yeah. Are they required to get married, or they've had their children, and they got married once, and, you know, it's okay? Lotov Leos Adam Levadoi. It's not good for a man to be alone. Men should be married. For many reasons. The simplest being that men are not capable of taking care of themselves. <laughs> men set an alarm clock not to wake up themselves, to wake up their wife to wake them up. Because <laughs> men are not capable of taking care of themselves. Mothers take care of little boys until they get big enough to hand them over to their wives to take care of them. Men should not be left alone. That's why when everybody runs off to the bungalow colony and leaves these people at home, it's never good. They go out to the, by takeout, they wander around the streets, they don't know where they're supposed to go. They're, no one's there to tell them what to do. They, they, they can't handle it. You know? So it's, it's, marriage is, is, is a wonderful institution and men belong in an institution. <laughs> yes. Okay. What if you can't cut the relationship? Like you, like you grew up with this boy, literally like brothers. Like he lives right near you. You can't like just leave. He's like right next to you. So you need to pull back and cut off the blood flow to the relationship as much as possible. I know the relationship you're discussing. You're discussing where your parents are friends with somebody else, and they have a son, and you're the daughter, and they think it's so cute since you were little kids that you come over and play together. And now it's not so cute. Because you've become real cute, and he's become kind of cute. <laughs> and by definition, the relationship's not so cute anymore. Because we ain't playing with Playmobil anymore, you know? And, uh, and I don't know about this particular boy, but I've seen relationships with this where the girl, you know, knows this guy his whole life and she's slowly getting creeped out, you know, because he's like, you know, because he's not looking at me anymore like um, I'm his little friend who's playing hide and go seek. wants to play something else. So we have to do the best we can, take a deep breath, be polite, ourselves back, find excuses to go up to my room. Oh, I'm running off to a Tehillim group, you know. I just remembered I have to daven very hard. But it's real awkward and it's real hard. And your parents have a total blind spot to this. Even parents who would be aghast a, a, a if they found out that their daughter was involved in a relationship with a boy will encourage them to talk to, talk to uh, Yossi because he's from next door and he, you grew up together. You don't want to be rude. Yes. I saw a hand back there. Yes. So how do you explain How do you explain it? <laughs> Tell me what you want to understand first of all. Let's try this. I understand. Let's try this. Let's not make assumptions. 
Yes, you are. Your question is based on an assumption. How do you have these older men who aren't doing anything wrong? That's an assumption. Now think about that a little bit. Don't make me, don't make me expand on this. Because even I can still blush. Yes. All right, ladies, I hope I've really done enough to upset you this evening. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I end maybe with this one story just because, you know, it really takes my position. Um, I, uh, I had this group, this co-ed group I was doing question and answer for. And a girl says, what's wrong with the guy and girl holding hands? So I said, because when a guy is holding a girl's hand, He's not happy holding her hand. He wants to move on to something else. No guy wants to hold a girl's hand. He's, he's already thinking of his next move. He's, you know, on and on and on. And every girl's doing that girl thing. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. That's shot, by the way, Nosham Dan Kalazin. And every guy's going like this. And finally the girls see what the guys are doing. And one girl raised her hand and said, Aren't the guys going to say anything? And I'm thinking to myself, lie. At least lie your way out of this. But they couldn't. And one guy raises his hand and says, Come on, Rabbi, you had your fun. Give us a chance. I said, I got from a 12. I didn't have any fun. I don't owe you anything. <laughs> I said, I really don't care about you. I'm on the side of the girls. And so therefore, if one person will rethink a position after this evening. Maybe I should think about the way I dress, how, what message I'm sending to guys. Maybe my, you know, my relationships with guys, I need to reevaluate. Or maybe my decisions, you know, not to get involved in relationships, I should reinforce. Maybe, you know, um, you know, some aspect of this I really need to, to look at and to think about. And if it helps one person, one person look at it. I, after the tape came out, I became known as the platonic relationship guy. I had 300 uh, shiurim available on tapes. But I would walk into a school and someone would say, Hey, the platonic relationship guy is here. You know what I mean? And then it just, it just it followed me wherever I went, you know? And, um, and I, you know, I met these three girls. And one girl said, You know, I heard your tape. And I broke up with my boyfriend. And the second girl said, you know what? I did too. I heard that tape and I broke up with my, with my boyfriend. And the third girl opens up her purse and pulls out a copy of the tape. And she says, my mom makes me take it with me wherever I go. I said, what would you think of it? She said, I never listened to it. <laughs> I said, why? She says, because I'm afraid if I do, I'll have to change my life and I don't want to. Man sees what he wants to see and disregards the rest. La, 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 That's the reality. And so sometimes, you know, uncomfortable truths are uncomfortable truths because they're uncomfortable. But it's a lot less uncomfortable than having to afterwards pick up the pieces. So it's lacha to everybody. Thank you.